0: Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren.
1: Hello and welcome back finally to Spooky Psych with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan.
0: And I am Lauren. Back from the dead.
1: (laughs) Just kidding. My maternity leave. I was just like, back from the dead. You birthed a human. That is the exact opposite. Um, I created life. The bringing of life. That's right.
0: had a baby it happened
1: that was a thing is there any anything you'd like to share about how you've been doing the past few months
0: yes um so i have a baby his name is benny and he's wonderful um he's about to be five months and uh he is fantastic and healthy and just like our favorite little person ever um And, yeah, he's exciting. And and being a new parent is pretty cool. I mean, there's some things that are, like, somewhat difficult, like not sleeping as much and the amount of caffeine I consume every day. Yes. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, always happy to give parenting advice or just, like, unsolicited things that people don't warn you about. Um, So, for example, for today, my little shred of wisdom I'll give to you guys is it's truly haunting and disturbing the moisture that accumulates in a diaper genie. (laughs) And I just want to warn everyone.
1: (laughs) Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful nugget. Um, Maybe at some point I really think that we have to do an episode on the psychology of pregnancy and childbirth and what this experience actually does to you um yeah because it's uh it's something i know for anybody who's watched the wonderful television show crazy ex-girlfriend they have this song called the miracle of birth that explains (laughs) it That is the funniest shit ever that I sent Lauren, like, three months after she gave birth. Because it's like, you have to wait till it becomes funny. You can't just, like, (laughs) send someone something about how terrible this is before they give birth. But after a while, it's like, that's like a weird experience, right? Let's just talk about that. It's a
0: weird one. And, like, that's one of those things where, you know, like, before, like, you know, going through it or whatever, um... It's just weird to think there's, like, a bunch of women out here who just, like, do that and did that. And they're just, like, walking around. Like, no big deal. It's
1: mm-hmm. like, but
0: you you really did that. You created a whole-ass human.
1: Yeah. And, like, seeing people who have had, like, eight kids.
0: Who are like, wow, you're yeah. still walking. Amazing. <laughs>
1: I know, my mother-in-law at one point in time just looked at me, she was like, I don't know how I had eight kids, and it's like, nobody knows.
0: We're all like, confused, yes. Everyone
1: is bad, I mean, they're all happy to exist, I'm happy, because I'm married to number six out of eight, so very happy they kept going, but it's yes. just like, that's so many children, and like, you go through that eight, that's a lot of times to give birth, I don't know. It's
0: many a child, but- it is. I just got the one and he's good. And yeah, I'm excited to be back. I've taken some time to rest and just balance things out being a mama and taking care of myself and the babe and my husband, just, you know, making time for us too. And now I feel like I'm ready to come back and get spooky.
1: Yes, we are so happy to have you back. I will say. This entire podcast thing is so much fucking easier with a second person.
0: (laughs) You did a fabulous job, though, because many times when we're going to, like, pediatrician appointments and stuff, I would listen to the ones that you made, and I would laugh, and I was like, she's doing a fabulous job.
1: Oh, good. Thank you so much. I think, uh... Jack was weirdly proud of his episode. I'm
0: proud of that episode. That was so funny.
1: It was funny, except for the fact that I found out, as I suspected, like, five minutes before we record that, that he has never listened to our podcast before.
0: Excellent.
1: <laughs> and so I'm like, so you just have, I mean, he's done a ton of podcasts, but- sure. I mean maybe one day our cryptozoology Megan and Jack podcast will be released. But I got a lot on my plate right now. I don't know if I need a second podcast. I know somebody commented immediately was like, Yes, please do that. And I'm
0: like I mean, I would be obsessed. But
1: What One one day at a time. Yeah, we just gotta do this. We're gonna focus on the podcast we currently have and also our amazing patrons, guys. Yes, guys! We, uh, love y'all, and it is so amazing, because, like, I didn't think that we were actually gonna have, like, patron growth when it was just a thing I was, like, weirdly doing on my own, but we did. So, we got some new patrons we need to shout out
0: and thank,
1: first of all, older patron, but... So, my microphone unplugged. Sorry if there's a weird cut there. We're doing our best. But annabelle made the lovely decision to give us more money thank you annabelle, annabelle we really appreciate that you're amazing so thank you thank so you friend. much. thank you you are now like single-handedly responsible for the fact that lauren and i officially have coffee money off of coffee this podcast money. in addition to our other costs so thank you for the coffee annabelle you are lovely a queen um, amazing all right so for our new patrons we have awana von hello so sorry if i butchered your name i'm not confident i should start to like double check these before we go but i don't always so sorry but thank you for joining we have vicky thank you hello vicky vicky lovely to have you thanks so much for joining
0: I think Vicky is our friend, um, who left an iTunes review, or, I, I don't know, Apple review, um, and she, I think she's from Geneva.
1: Ooh, okay, are you from Geneva? Yeah. If so... Let us know. Um, I think in the future, I don't know. Lauren and I haven't really talked about this, so if she disagrees, I'll just cut this out and he'll never know. Uh, I think <laughs> it'd be a
0: big secret.
1: In the future, you know, when COVID isn't quite as bad and we could see people, we're definitely not against. I don't think doing another live event. Those were s- yeah, that would be cool. Fun. I miss those. I know it was a great energy. We had so many friends there. Um, like our good friends no. Angel and Brandy, Angel, who are st- Brandy. who are still patron the OGs. Thank you so much for continuing to be here. We love you guys.
0: Brandy, how are you? How yeah, how are you?
1: From a while. How you doing? How are the dogs? Please. Love-
0: how is your Funko Pop collection yes. going? Please we let us know. To
1: know all of that. Um, So, we also have a new patron, Francisco, hello, Francisco. Hello, Francisco. Thank you so much. Francisco has given us a very good topic suggestion that I'm excited to do, so be looking out for that. We'll shout him out when it's his turn, but that was a good one. Actually, our patrons have been very great. I asked them for episode suggestions to help us plan out this Uh year, and they came in clutch. They have some great ideas. Um, For those of you who don't know, if you're a patron, you can send us ideas. You also get to vote on episode topics and determine what we're doing. Give us feedback on what you want to know on the topics. Kind of guide our research. We also have exclusive Patreon content. Uh... Which, for this episode, includes a terrible screenshot of both of us when we're recording this. There will be more stuff in the future, some mini sods, some videos. We're gonna do some stuff, now that we're both here.
0: Maybe some feet pics? You never know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All feet pics. We're just gonna get into the weird part of Patreon. Who wants to see our feet? If you want to see our feet, please don't tell us that's like the one thing don't tell us we're not judging you but we're also not into it so please keep that to yourself and your consensual relationships Uh, we don't want to post feet pics
0: my feet are slippered and none of your business
1: (laughs) Uh, and one more patron honey hello honey Honey. thank you so much Um, I think those are all of our newer patrons i am so sorry if anyone did not get a shout out i think we got everyone if you didn't please let us know if you've never gotten an episode shout out um we're we're yeah
0: because we want to give you guys love because we truly love you all also speaking of podcast stuff um i recently found out on spotify you can rate and review (laughs) Um, so if you are a Spotify user, please rate and review. We'd love to hear what you guys Mm -hmm. think.
1: That we would. Um, I also just want to tell you, so fun fact, this episode was, um, our first time we had a patron vote for episodes. Mm -hmm. We had a tie. And so the tie, so the one, it was Fugue States. So we have a tie between fugue states and narcissistic personality disorder and I decided that I thought since it was a personality disorder it would be a bit better to do with Lauren do it collectively since it's so much research it'd be a bit easier. So this is a patron selected episode which we're very very excited about. Also like to shout out that Angel uh lovely OG patron of ours as soon as I post this he commented that he had just been thinking about suggesting that we do an episode on narcissistic personality Uh disorder so that worked out he also wanted to know a bit about treatment and we will be discussing that because it is a fascinating disorder and a fascinating one to treat
0: definitely and I got some some hot tea and hot takes on how to treat it um, that I'm excited yes. to share. Okay,
1: so, um, let's see. Things to, to start. Um, let's just, I'll, I'll open with a question. Lauren, what yes, do you think about the possibility of treating people with narcissistic personality disorder? Because I think a lot of people have opinions on this. So...
0: Like, do I think it's possible?
1: Yeah. Like, what kind of recovery do you think is possible? Because a lot of people say it's not possible.
0: So, I think it's possible to reduce symptoms. I think it's possible to learn better communication skills, transparency. I think it's possible to work towards a better sense of self Mm-hmm. Um, cause the ego states can get complicated with it. I don't think you can a hundred percent be cured. I think uh, there's exciting research and I'm going to share it with yeah. you guys. Um, where, you know, maybe in the future, if we kind of start going with like a different model and understanding that, you know, maybe it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think even with that, it'd be, um, a long commitment to therapy. Yeah. yeah.
1: What do you think? I mean, I think that I get why some people are, like, less optimistic about it, because we have a lot of misconceptions about what narcissistic personality disorder is, and yes, it can absolutely be damaging for both the person with the disorder and their loved ones. We won't discount that, and we will be talking about that, but... It can look a lot of different ways, and so I think it's not fair to kind of say, like, oh, everyone can get treated or no one can get treated, but you can improve functioning in somebody who genuinely wants to do the work and improve their functioning, and I think that's true of pretty much any mental illness right like if you're fully ready if you want it if you're gonna put in the work a lot of times you can gain symptom reduction and improved functioning a lot of them right you may never get to the point where there's no symptoms same with personality disorders but a lot of time you can improve things i think the starting issue with research is it may be less likely for people with high levels of narcissism to seek out treatment and i think that's the thing that a lot of people miss when they're talking mm-hmm. about it is inherently there are challenges that go hand in hand with treating narcissism. It's not that it's impossible. It just, we also have to consider in order to get treatment, you have to decide to go to treatment.
0: Right. The motivation has to be there. And I think, uh, you know, as therapists or any therapists who are listening or soon to be therapists going to school for it, um, <laughs> Everybody has had experiences working with people who don't want to be in therapy, mm-hmm. um, and they're kind of forced to be in therapy for one reason or another, and it is, is so hard it <laughs> is. to work with them because they don't want to be there. And, you know, whether it's a personality disorder like, any sort of problem, if they don't want to be there, then it's just the therapist doing work, and sometimes we're just spinning our wheels.
1: Right. And I'd like to point out, like, I think when we talk about people who are in therapy that don't want to be in therapy, we think a lot about, like, court-mandated therapy, which is a piece of it. But the population that I have seen the most in Mm -hmm. therapy that don't actually want to be there are people whose parents are making them go or their partners say if they don't get therapy, they're going to leave them. Yep. And so there's a lot of that, like, gray area where, like, they sign the paperwork and they're technically agreeing to be there, uh, but it wasn't that idea. Also, I'm just going to throw this out there as someone who works with a lot of kids. If you are taking your child to therapy, please tell them that you're taking them to therapy before they actually get there. Because the amount of times that I have had kids that think that they're going to the dentist... Oh, God. Or, like, to get a well-child visit or a shot, and then you have to, like, spend 45 minutes explaining what it is. Please tell your children what medical things they're going to before they go. I don't know why that's a common theme, but... Well, that's... that's different. (laughs) Give them a heads up! Tell them who they're going to see. It makes it go a little easier.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah, no, I agree. That would be helpful.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, so let's get into it. it. Um, all right, so of course, we're going to start with that DSM definition of what it is according to yes. the DSM. Um, so narcissistic personality disorder is one of several types of personality disorders. So there's many different types. Um, often they kind of cluster together, but we'll kind of get more into that as we go. Um, So it's a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. But behind the mask of extreme confidence lies lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. A narcissistic personality disorder causes problems in many areas of life, such as relationships, work, school, or financial affairs. And again, just to circle back to what Megan was saying, um, many times those will be the reasons that bring people in to therapy. Um, if it's impacting their relationships, um, if they can't get along with people at work or keep getting fired, they can't, um, they're not doing well school or financially. Um, you know, these are all different reasons they may show up in your office. Um, People with narcissistic personality disorder may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they're not given special favors or admiration they believe they deserve. And they may find their relationships unfulfilling, and others may not enjoy being around them. So, when you hear that, um, you know, it definitely can present as somebody who is seemingly depressed or coming in saying, you know, nothing makes me happy anymore. You know, I, things are unfulfilling. Um, so that's where the confusion can kind of start.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, most people... Just to kind of piggyback off of this, most people don't come to therapy because they think they have a personality disorder. Nope. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's definitely, like, some people may have an inkling, but for the most part, right, the things that people, when you ask someone, like, okay, so what's bringing you here today? Why did you decide to do therapy? They're never like, oh, because I think this, it's like- because I'm having trouble at work or because I feel like my life is aimless. It's usually like a functioning issue of like right. I'm fighting with my spouse all the time, I'm failing all my classes. It's usually like a functioning thing that's the last straw, not just like, I think I'm depressed.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um. There are nine signs and symptoms of narcissism. Ooh. Um... So the symptoms are called core features of narcissistic personality disorder. So the first one is grandiosity, and I think this is what we're most familiar with, right? So um, that exaggerated sense of self-importance, feeling superior to others, and that that one deserves special treatment. Feelings are often accompanied by fantasies of unlimited success, brilliance, power, beauty, or love. And of course, if you're feeling this way about yourself, you may feel like, why would I go to
1: therapy? Mm -hmm.
0: I am brilliant.
1: I am the best. I'm not the problem.
0: Yep. Number two, excessive need for admiration. So they must be the center of attention. They often monopolize conversations. Patients feel slighted, mistreated, depleted, and enraged when ignored. Three is superficial and exploitive relationships. So relationships are based on surface attributes and not the unique qualities of others. People are only valued to the extent they are viewed as beneficial. So the whole thought of, you know, what can this person do for me? Mm -hmm. The fourth is lack of empathy. So severely limited or totally lacking ability to care about the emotional needs or experiences of others, even loved ones. Mm -hmm. Five is identity disturbance. So sense of self is highly superficial, extremely rigid, and often fragile. Self-stability depends on maintaining the view that one is exceptional. Grandiose sense of self is easily threatened. And patients retreat from or deny realities that that challenge grandiosity. Mm -hmm. Six is difficulty with attachment and dependency. So, relies on feedback from the environment. Relationships only exist to shore up positive self-image. Interactions are superficial, and intimacy is avoided. Seven, chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom. When attention and praise are not available, patients feel empty, bored, depressed, or restless.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Eight is um, vulnerability to life transitions. Um, So they may have difficulty maintaining reality-based personal and professional goals over time. They may have compromises required by school, work, jobs, and relationships that may feel unbearable. For young adults, they may have a failure to launch. So speaking of young adults, I did want to touch on kids for a second because there is a level of of, um, narcissism that children possess that are completely developmentally appropriate. Yes.
1: So,
0: <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate this, Megan. Let's
1: talk about your narcissistic baby, Lauren.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. It's all about him. Yes. And he knows it. He knows it. Um, uh, so children with narcissistic pathology exhibit a kind of self-centeredness that is different from normal narcissism. So in normal narcissism, what happens is children need dependence and admiration, and that's fulfilled by age-appropriate attention received. You know, it's important that kids receive attention because these are the building blocks um, of developing that sense of self. Um, They're able to acknowledge nurturing with reciprocity and gratitude, and easily learn the satisfactions of empathy and engagement with others. So this is, this is normal, it's normal for kids um, to kind of see the world view from their perspective. It's kind of funny too um, because sometimes kids do not realize that other people have a different perspective and mm-hmm. they think everybody thinks the same way that they do. And so what you do is you just you know point out to them that there are different perspectives and as they get older it becomes much easier for them to realize that.
1: Yes, this is actually one of the most interesting things about working with younger children and interviewing children when I was a forensic interviewer. And this is something not a lot of people think about. But younger children literally do not know that you don't know everything that they know. So they assume that the knowledge that they have is knowledge that everyone has. So it'll be a situation where, like, a kid will come in and you'll be like, oh, like... What'd you do for your birthday? Like, it was your birthday. What did you do? And they'll just be like, what do you mean? And it's like, you'll have to literally tell them, I wasn't at your party, was I? And they're like, no. And I'm like, how could I know if I wasn't at your party? Like, they will just kind of be like, well, you know. And it's well, like, and no kids will friends. do that,
0: too, with like their friends or like relatives or so like, yeah, you know, and Becky was there. It's like, well, who's Becky? You know. My friend. Like, Like, I don't know who Becky is. (laughs) you never
1: told me about them before. I I know nothing, right? It is, so it is interesting because kids, I mean, to be fair, right? Like, they need adults to get things done. They're not functional. I like to say when people are you know when people will say that kids are assholes right kids are learning how to be a human being for the first time ever and it is a messy process right like anyone it's a mess
0: like I'm 31 and trying to figure it out still and you you're,
1: know? D- you're doing great but Thank like you. with toddlers they'll do things that are so ridiculous but it's like right they, they literally don't know they don't know they're they trying rely to
0: so much on us to help them
1: right? And it's like they're doing this because to them, this is actually a huge deal, and they don't understand why mom does not think that the fact that this chocolate chip cookie only has three chocolate chips, like, they don't get why mom is like, eat the cookie. I made this cookie for you, like, get over it. They literally don't understand why you're not equally as upset about it. So, right. it, it is tricky, like, they are narcissistic, but it's not clinical narcissism, not, it's Not mentally. pathological.
0: Right? <laughs> like, yeah
1: that's just they're self-centered because they have to be and you know also just like touching on something for the symptoms of narcissism with some of that lack of empathy and the superficial Mm -hmm. things like just to point this out as maybe a viewpoint and lauren you can tell me if you think i'm off base on this at all please tell me but like if you have somebody who comes into therapy that does not have a high level of narcissism who is coming to therapy because their spouse said, if you don't get help, I'm going to leave you. They would be more likely to say something like, I love them so much. I can't lose them. I can't imagine my life without them. Like I need to get better so that we can make this work. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody with that level of narcissism is more likely to be angry that that person is considering leaving them and it's it's more of a like not like i love them i can't do this without them but like how how could they want to leave me why would they leave me why do i have to be the one to get help to fix this like it's just it would present and not saying everyone like not that like a person who's not a narcissist may not be mad given the set of circumstances like of course some people are more angry but I think you're just less likely to hear about like how close that relationship is and more likely to hear about things like what they're gonna leave me and they're not gonna they're gonna keep the house and i have to get a different house or like like i'm gonna have to take care of the kids now by myself like mm-hmm. less about the personal relationship and more about like the structural difficulty of leaving or like how dare they because right that would like be... the very
0: like me 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 like all yes. about me yes think about how this is impacting me how much my life is changing all mm-hmm. of that so, um, so yeah, and, and the other part, too, like, as we're going through this, like, there are people that for sure meet criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. And then there's also such a thing as just having some narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. So you may not fully have the disorder, but maybe you've adapted some traits based on relationships that you've been in um, that weren't healthy Or, you know, maybe you grew up with a narcissistic parent and you kind of took on some of their qualities. That's very much possible. And just dealing with, like, individual traits, that is super treatable.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And the thing is, there are actually, I'll touch on this a bit more later, there are some benefits to having some level of narcissism for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. It can be a beneficial trait in small doses. And the thing, remember, like, the difference between a trait and a personality disorder is if somebody has this disorder, this is, like, the trait that dominates every other part of their personality and every right. part of their life. This is the main thing. It's not just, like, oh, he can be, like, a bit narcissistic at times. It's, like, in all interactions all the time. This person is always narcissistic.
0: Right. Exactly. Or, oh, only in uh, romantic relationships does this person become, you know, really selfish. Okay, then that's more of, like, a trait than yeah actual disorder.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So, um, I know a lot of people wonder about causes of narcissism. Um, and I definitely want to get into that because there are a few different viewpoints with it. Um, so it's not known what causes narcissistic personality disorder, um, definitively, Mm -hmm. but with personality development and other mental health disorders, the cause of narcissistic personality disorder is likely complex. So narcissistic personality disorder may be linked to environment, So mismatches in parent child relationships with either excessive adoration or excessive criticism that is poorly attuned to a child's experience. So growing up in an environment where maybe one parent, you know, praises you as very kind to you, very sweet to you, um, thinks you're the best thing in the world. And then having another parent who's super critical, um, you know, thinking about how that could impact a child, um, and what, you know, defense mechanisms they may need to develop. The next one is childhood trauma, trauma, always rearing its ugly head, causing these things.
1: Trauma is just listed as a cause of every mental, they're like always like, maybe trauma,
0: maybe trauma too. Maybe
1: trauma.
0: Well, we'll sprinkle a trauma. Um, so such as physical, sexual and verbal abuse, um, this can be linked to narcissistic personality disorder. Genetics, um, so it's believed that you can inherit characteristics, um, So again, circling back to say, if you have a narcissistic parent, you may develop some of their traits, uh, neurobiology. So the connection between the brain and behavior and thinking, um, so there might be some neurobiological reasons that you may have developed this disorder. Um, so basically in summation, it could be a really nasty, nasty combo of environment and genetics, um, or it could just be a really intense upbringing that kind of causes it.
1: Mm-hmm. So now, um, there's a couple different, I'm going to talk about like types of narcissists and some statistics and then some myths about narcissistic personality disorder. Cause y'all know that we love to bust some things that we all think about mental health that are incorrect. Yeah, we do. We do. So... There's kind of two types of narcissism, and this is both with regular narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. So there's the grandiose or overt narcissism, and then vulnerable or covert narcissism. So, you know, grandiose narcissism is marked by extroversion, self-confidence, attention-seeking, and aggression, whereas vulnerable narcissism is characterized by introversion, high sensitivity, negative emotions, and the need for Constant reassurance. So the theme of all forms of the narcissistic personality disorder is self-enhancement, that your beliefs and thoughts set you apart from other people. And that's the thing, is I think we tend to think of people with narcissistic personality disorder as, like, super aggressive and abusive, but some people with it are just, like, super sad and attention-seeking, so it can look a lot of different ways. And I think it's also, you know, pointing out that the term narcissist is really, like, culturally intense and can totally be overused sometimes. I think, especially if you listen to uh, other podcasts, not to throw podcasts under the bus as a medium, but, right, how many times do you hear somebody being like, oh, they're such a fucking narcissist just because they killed someone, right? Like, murder is bad, but it doesn't mean that that person has narcissistic personality disorder.
0: Right. And there there's a pretty big difference between like narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial
1: right. personality
0: disorder. And um the, Yeah.
1: And the interesting thing like for this episode I literally tried to look up like who are some notable people with narcissistic personality disorder just mm-hmm. to see if I could find any. I could not find a single person with narcissistic personality disorder that had any shred of this person was diagnosed with this disorder oh, and no. is undergoing treatments. I found massive lists, but none of them were citing when and how this person was actually diagnosed. So a lot of it is speculation, even like, um, you know, a lot of like they said, like Ted Bundy has narcissistic Mm. personality disorder. I think Ted Bundy would be much more likely to have antisocial personality disorder and has much stronger antisocial traits than narcissistic traits. And a lot of times, like, even if a person, if you were going to diagnose them with multiple personality disorders, not multiple Mm -hmm. personality disorder, that would be dissociative identity disorder, right? right? But more than one, you would still typically pick one that's the most dominant as like the primary diagnosis yes. and realistically if someone is a serial killer and a serial rapist they have a higher percentage of antisocial personality traits than narcissistic they may have malignant narcissism as well but like you just see a lot of this where it's just like oh this person and it's like there is no diagnosis or evidence that this person actually has this but there is a lot of internet speculation and mm-hmm it's just good to check in on those things cause some of them it's just like you're like a blogger you don't actually know this celebrity and you right. don't know how much of this is persona by a publicist and how much is who they are as a person and like there's just a lot of mixed up stuff so I really couldn't find anyone where it was like this person got diagnosed in prison or like has been right. open about their struggle with this um
0: but- and that's why kind of earlier I was saying too like it's important to realize that personality disorders have the tendency to cluster together where they may share certain symptoms. So I guarantee you a lot of people with antisocial personality disorder probably have some narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and you can kind of, you know, somebody with histrionic personality disorder, probably also have some narcissistic traits so it's going with like the main issue and just being aware that some of the other um disorder characteristics may come to play too.
1: Mm -hmm. Right and I even think it's theoretically possible that in an assessment somebody may be more likely to get a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder over antisocial personality disorder because they may not choose to disclose their antisocial behavior like they might not be like yes i do frequently violate the rights and safety of other human beings right (laughs) they may not be like free with that um And again, like, there are cases where you can diagnose someone with more than one personality disorder. I think a lot of times some traits are just more predominant or are impacting somebody more than others. Like, even with any disorder, a lot of times, like, you might diagnose somebody with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. But typically, you would kind of put one of those two as the first diagnosis for whichever one is causing the most dysfunction and distress. So it would be similar with personality disorders. Like, if you have antisocial and narcissistic, I can almost guarantee the antisocial is causing more problems in your life than the narcissism is. Yep. So we'd have to rank that. So... There totally. is overlap, um, but also, you know, doesn't mean not all narcissistic personality disorder people are actually abusive or serial killers. There, I'm sure there are some, and there are, right. you know, more with abusive than serial killers. Serial killers are kind of rare. Um, but again, it's a complicated diagnosis, and some of the things, right, narcissism as a trait, not as a disorder, is a huge spectra- spectrum, and certain things that are beneficial to having... A little bit of narcissism is confidence right like having the confidence to go out and put yourself out there and get into relationships in the first place like Mm -hmm. you may be more likely if you have a little hint of narcissism to go and like explore more and travel and take more risks and get more life experiences than somebody who doesn't have that level of confidence but like all disorders and this is a little like asterisk it's not listed in the DSM I've argued with people in this because it's not listed per diagnosis but if you read the front of the manual in the how to use this manual in the dsm it's not a mental a diagnosable mental disorder if it's not impairing your daily life right there has to be impairment i know somebody was saying that like bulimia doesn't have to have impairment i'm like everything in the dsm has to have impairment in your life or it's not a disorder just like having like a health problem You know, for example, like, even my chronic pain condition, joint hypermobility syndrome, right? You can have hypermobile joints and not have any problems. If you don't have problems, you don't have the syndrome. If you do have problems, you do. Pretty much any diagnosis, it has to actually be an issue in order for you to have the diagnosis. So there's also people who have strong amounts of these traits or have symptoms of a mental disorder, but are not actually having that disorder.
0: Right.
1: So, um estimations of how common narcissistic personality disorder it depends. Um rates range between one and five percent of the population. Lauren, I believe your stats were saying five, so on the higher end, um keep in mm-hmm. mind prevalence is not an exact science, it's an estimation based on research. It's not like right. they're and asking what
0: people are willing to share, admit.
1: Yeah. Um, so, somewhere in there, uh, and it's more frequently manifested amongst men and younger people. So now, there is some myths. We got seven myths about narcissistic personality disorder. Myth number nice. one is that they're all extremely self-confident. That's oh. not actually true. Um, like I said, there's kind of two... Main points, and for a lot of people behind, even if they do have the facade of confidence, even if they are more grandiose, a lot of times it's there is a you know, a really, really insecure person behind all of it, um, right? Like a
0: big old defense mechanism,
1: yeah, managing their self doubt, staving off feelings of shame and self hatred. Um, so that's the thing, right? There are absolutely some people with NPD that are super confident and genuinely believe that they are the greatest human being that ever lived. There's Mm -hmm. also people who think that because they're trying to avoid admitting how sad they actually are and they're trying to prove to themselves that they are that great. So, it's not- it doesn't always look like that. Um, then there's all narcissists intend to hurt those close to them. Um... Which a lot of them actually don't know how much harm their action is causing. It's not necessarily that they're trying to hurt other people. They are trying to get their own needs met. And a lot of times the needs of others are collateral damage in that, right? Like, because they do lack that empathy, So they are not empathetic to other people's feelings. They are more focused on benefits for themselves, which means that other people can and do get hurt. Um, Right. I would also say that, you know, this is not to diminish, like I said. A lot of people have been abused by people with narcissistic personality disorder. That is a very real thing. That is a very real problem. Um, and I'm sure there are also some people with narcissistic personality disorder who just purposely stay out of relationships and just don't engage that much, um, or who, you know, don't do anything particularly harmful to other people in their relationships. I'd just like to point out, like, not everyone who is, has narcissistic personality disorder is abusive. And it's often not intentional, it's genuinely that they don't care enough to realize what they're doing. And that sounds so mean, but, like, they just lack that empathy and they're so fixated They haven't worked
0: that, like, a muscle, it'd be like, if you didn't, like, work, like, your biceps the majority of your life, like, you wouldn't be able to use them very well.
1: Right, like, they're just not quite there, um their goal well, let me
0: ask you this megan this is kind of like a hot take and yeah. if you feel like it's weird we can always delete it but um do you feel like people who have narcissistic traits and physically abuse their partners do you feel like that's more antisocial personality disorder or narcissism
1: mm, i don't know Because I think it's really hard to pinpoint at what time physical abuse constitutes as antisocial personality disorder. Right. Um, Because it it, it is an antisocial behavior. Like, physical abuse is a huge problem. I think that... I don't think it would have to be antisocial. I think it can fall under narcissism because if you're, you know, that level of anger and lashing out at that person Mm -hmm. for challenging you... So maybe more of of
0: the intention or the reason behind it. Mm
1: -hmm. Right, because I think more of the antisocial, and I could be totally wrong on this, but, like, I think so much of it, like, intention matters, and I think for a lot of narcissists, it would be to protect themselves and their self-image and i think for a lot of people who are antisocial it would genuinely be because they enjoy hurting other people and
0: more of the power control yeah, sort of a thing. yeah yeah
1: and less of a defensive thing not that it is ever okay to be physically abusive
0: ever 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 ever
1: ever ever, yeah. ever. but i do think in terms of diagnostics intentions do matter
0: i do too because that's the thing and it got me like thinking about it is that so, unfortunately, during my maternity leave, I got a TikTok. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> so, I, I started watching, you know, videos. And it was nice because it was one of those things where, like, I'd be up at 3 a.m., you know, feeding Benny. And I needed, like, something to watch so right. I do not like, pass out while I'm feeding him. Um, so, those were nice because it's, like, little videos. And, like, I stumbled on this whole thing where it's, like, narc-talk
1: Mm-hmm. where it's, like,
0: narcissistic TikTok, where they talk about, like, all these people who've had relationships with people um, who seemingly have narcissistic personality disorder. But I've honestly, like, watched some where I've wondered, like, I don't know, this may be bigger than just narcissistic mm-hmm. personality disorder. This could totally fall under antisocial.
1: Right, and I think the important thing to remember about mental health stuff on TikTok Is that a lot of times it's people's perceptions of the situation, not an actual diagnosis that happened with, you know, psych testing in an intensive interview. And, you know, like I have said before, self-diagnosis or diagnosis of others is a very complicated thing. Mm -hmm. because it is hard to piece out certain features of disorders it is a bit tricky to sort through there's a reason that certain disorders you can't even diagnose with just a masters you literally have to have a PhD for certain things Because it is so tricky and requires training. So it's just Mm -hmm. important to remember, like, people's perceptions of their issues is extremely valid and important. But that doesn't mean that their perception is an accurate representation of the criteria for that disorder. And so it's just important to keep that lens in mind. Um,
0: Right. And if you see something, you know, for example, like on TikTok, we're like, wow, like, this story really resonates with me or it sounds like an X that I had, like, bring that up to your therapist. Be like, hey, I watched this and it reminded me of X, Y, and Z, and your therapist will be able to help you navigate it Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, diagnosing somebody with something or spreading around misinformation that may not be totally accurate.
1: Right, and at the same time, a lot of times in those situations, the part that matters is your response and how hurt you are, not actually what diagnostic criteria the exactly. person needs. Like, the diagnosis, I think, can be helpful in understanding, but... But, y- like, some people can just be, like, assholes, and,
0: <laughs> you know, and they just abuse other people yeah. and that's it.
1: yeah right you can be an awful human being and not meet the criteria of anything and just like generally like have problematic behavior that is so unique it doesn't actually meet anything that's possible um so this this myth is probably one of them that i hear the most which i love that they put they're all sexually immoral which i think is such an ambiguous term because sexual morality like really depends on who you're asking (laughs) that's a very individual decision really what they are going with in the explanation is that they're unfaithful and that they cheat on their partners um which again some do some don't i think that's the same of people with literally any mental disorder some people Mm -hmm. will cheat some people will not and you know right for that like There are, I could see from a narcissistic point of view, some narcissists would be very validated by a committed monogamous sexual relationship because that other person is like, you are the sole fulfiller of their sexual desires, which for some narcissists would be like extremely validating. That they mm-hmm. are that great, some narcissists may be more interested in having sexual relations with as many people as possible to prove that they are in fact desirable. I think it so depends on how they actually see things. So mm-hmm. it is entirely possible that somebody with narcissistic personality disorder could be faithful to their spouse like 50 years. It is possible yeah. for it to happen. Um, that they're all master manipulators so interesting so I mm-hmm. some are some are not they're saying like there are a few who are really good at long term planning and manipulating mm-hmm. but they say most people with this disorder are more similar to children who are learning by trial and error to figure out what they want yeah right I which I could see that again this is the thing with like regular childhood narcissism mm-hmm. right like they just don't know what's going to work and they're focused on getting what they want, not how some of these things are terrible ideas, which is an mm-hmm. important reframe. And a lot of people would be the same, right? They are trying to get what they want, and they will try multiple different strategies and see what works. It may or may not and be a how carefully you react to it. plan, right? Um,
0: That's why, you know, being on the other end of it, of people that I've worked with where they were victims of abuse from a person who did have narcissistic personality disorder. The best thing you can do with them is just, you know, not respond. Have a neutral response. Because then they can't figure out, mm-hmm. like, how they're going to get whatever they want yeah, accomplished.
1: And, and this uh, writer said that cool. if you have your own firm boundaries, pay attention to what is actually going on don't doubt your own judgment you're pretty likely to figure out that they're trying to manipulate you and see what happens um that's not to like discount anybody who has been taken advantage of by somebody with narcissistic personality disorder boundaries are incredibly difficult to figure out and the vast majority of us were not raised to set healthy boundaries Um, So this is a thing a lot of us are trying to learn. So, like, don't beat yourself up too much if this has happened to you. But I think we have that perception that it's like they're like an evil genius. And it's like they're just very focused on a goal and they'll just keep trying things until something works. Okay, So we have all narcissists are predators, Mm. right? Again, yeah, that is a myth. Um, The reality is that narcissists are people. Um, narcissists need other people to validate them in order to maintain their self-worth. Their disorder leads them to be insensitive to the feelings and needs of those around them. They lack empathy and are self-centered. It's the combination of need and insensitivity and self-centeredness that often leads people to be selfish and single-minded in pursuit of what they want. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're necessarily setting out to hurt someone specifically or looking for victims. Some might, some might not. Um, Similar that they're evil. It's another one that you hear that they're all evil. Um, They're hurtful, right? A lot of people with this are hurtful and are bad at intimate relationships. But it is perfectly possible for... People with narcissistic personality disorder to do an incredible amount of good for their communities. They may be destructive properly, right? Well,
0: right. And when you consider, like, the covert type, um, these people aren't predatory. Mm-hmm. In fact, they do a lot of things because <laughs> they want the public to view them as good right you know so it's it's interesting like nothing about it's predatory but they're doing these things so that they can create kind of this false facade
1: right and the other thing to keep in mind which this author points out right that there are narcissists who get their narcissistic supply by doing good deeds think about how many uh buildings on campuses are named after people who donated millions of (laughs) dollars to that thing right like there are there are probably lots of people with narcissistic personality disorder who are well loved in their community because they're constantly like look how great i am i just donated all of this money to this charity i'm on 47 charity boards i work tirelessly which can also fill that narcissistic need to be important right okay rolling through and then they're all charming right that you think that they're all gonna be like so charming and amazing so slick because again we think of them as super manipulative but i love i'm just gonna directly quote the author on this because i love this sentence the reality is that while some narcissists can be superficially charming when you first meet them others are quite boring and annoying excellent (laughs) just like wow we're taking them down right there are charming ones who are good at telling stories that look really good. Like, those fascinating stories to make a good impression. Which also, mm-hmm. I would like to point out, it is perfectly normal to know which of your life stories sound the best when you first meet people. And, like, it's, it's normal to have a go-to icebreaker story that's amusing. Totally. That's not, like, a personality disorder thing. But a lot of times for those people the charm wears thin because you keep hearing those same stories all the time and realize they have absolutely no interest in you whatsoever and are just constantly Mm -hmm. telling these stories that make them look good um yep yeah like Oh, this is one- this is one of the author's clients, this is a direct quote. I thought that I was so special to him because he sent me beautiful cards for my birthday and many other occasions, but then I was at his house, opened a drawer looking for a pen, I found stacks of the exact same cards that he had been sending me. He was sending them (laughs) to everyone. Right? Like, and that's the thing where, like, you- you think of them as, like, these people and they can make you feel special, but a lot yeah. of times you'll realize that that special stuff is how they treat everyone because they want everyone to think that they're special so that you think that the narcissist is special, right? Like they do that yeah. special treatment gives to everyone. Them the attention
0: that they seek.
1: Right? And it, it is interesting. Um, and so this is the author's takeaway, which is as punchline. Narcissists are neither superheroes nor villains. They are troubled, very self-centered people with low emotional empathy, a host of other narcissistic issues, and are preoccupied with supporting their shaky self-esteem. Unfortunately, their narcissistic flaws interfere with them having mutually satisfying relationships with other people.
0: Right.
1: Right? And I think that's the thing where people kind of get where it's just like, they're so terrible. And in reality, they're usually very bad at intimate personal relationships. And
0: I think that might be, like, the thing that we, like, highlight and underline when it comes to, like, narcissistic personality disorder is these are folks that are just not good at intimate relationships. Yeah. And that's just, like, a fact. That's not a judgment. It's not anything. It's just it is incredibly hard for them to navigate. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and all of those myths—they were that was written by Eleanor Greenberg. She's a PhD. She's a therapy cool. trainer who specializes in teaching the diagnosis and treatment of borderline, narcissistic, and schizoid disorders.
0: All important. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: um, and the thing is, with narcissists, they can do good for the community. They can be really good coworkers. Mm-hmm. They could be, like, enjoyable people to be around in certain situations, but you are unlikely to enjoy being their spouse. Yeah, that would be hard. Or best friend, even, right? They're just not good at those really close relationships. But I also think, you know, we don't want I mean, they could
0: be really good at certain jobs. I feel like, you know, certain jobs, like, somebody with this disorder, they would, like, excel at, you know?
1: Right? Like, anything with public speaking. Yeah. they'd be great at similar to actually uh, people with antisocial personality disorder tend to be very very good at high level business jobs um, yeah like
0: the CEOs mm-hmm.
1: because they are very capable of making decisions that are for the best of the business that will be harmful to a lot of people because they don't actually care right they don't have that right. empathy where it's like we're gonna have to fire this many people they're like this will get do this much for the company like
0: very, I don't know if logical is the right word, but very just like, yeah, they're able to put emotions completely aside.
1: Right. And and that's the thing is like, we don't want to do a disservice to the victims of people, but we also don't want to say that everybody with this disorder is an awful person because that's just not true.
0: Right. And the thing I always try to explain to people too, is that if you are somebody who grew up with terrible trauma and this was the way that you survived your trauma and the defense mechanism that worked best for you to help you survive that doesn't make you a bad person and especially if you're trying your best you know by going to therapy or just being like very honest about your feelings and and what you're doing and and things like that that makes all the difference in the world
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and the thing is anyone can get better Anyone yep. who truly wants to, right? You may not be able to cure. You may not right. be able to completely get rid of things, but anybody can see some improvement in symptom presentation and functioning.
0: That's exactly right. Completely agree. Um, something that I was taking a peek at, too, is just the different types of inventories that are out there or assessments uh, for narcissistic personality disorder. Um, One I wanted to share, just because I I always like looking at these because I think it's interesting. Um, The one I took a peek at was the Narcissistic Personality Inventory. Um, This is used pretty often. And I just wanted to read some items that are on the inventory that typically will suggest um, a greater likelihood of Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Um, so just a few items that I saw on here was, um, I see myself as a good leader, I will be a success, people always seem to recognize my authority, I have a natural talent for influencing people, I'm assertive, I like to have authority over other people, I rarely depend on anyone else to get things done, I like to take responsibility for making decisions, I am more capable than other people. Mm-hmm. I can live my life in any way I want to. Um, I wish somebody would someday write my biography. Huh? Yep. Uh, modesty doesn't become me.
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine somebody just deadass making the statement, modesty doesn't become me, and, like, what my reaction to that would be. That's just...
0: Or or this one. I get upset when people don't notice how I look when I go out in public.
1: Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 So, oh, (laughs) here's a good one. If I ruled the world, it would be a much better place. Mm. Yep. Interesting. So, just, you know. And and some of, like, the first markers that I was kind of sharing with you guys, I mean, that could be for somebody who just has, like, healthy self-esteem.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, or you know, I'm a born leader. Maybe that's true. Maybe that could you are. be a
1: very accurate assessment of your strengths as a human being. So,
0: so just something to keep in mind. All right. So, I read a beautiful article. Um, that I I just can't say enough about, and I, I wanted to expand on some things I read. Um, but the person or the people that wrote this article, so her name is Dolores Mascara and Jim Nipe. And I actually went to a training that Jim Nipe did. Oh, you did! And I did! I think it, this was in either 2018 or 2019, and it was in Wisconsin. And he is the most precious man, and he's so brilliant. And I remember emailing him after because I had a question about something and I was just like, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember me because there's so many people in the training. He's like, of course I remember you. You're the one with the cool outfit. And I was like, thank you, Jim Knight.
1: Would I'm you so say honored. that you want people to notice your outfit when you go yes! to public
0: <laughs> uh, Yes, I would. <laughs> But alas, he is wonderful, and he is doing great things for the EMDR community, and I'm so grateful for him. Um, But I did want to share some information that was in an article that he co-wrote with Dolores Mascara.
1: Nice.
0: So, so, first is the closet narcissist, and Megan kind of touched on this. So they may present as humble, timid, shy, inhibited, ineffective, but later in therapy you might find that they have really elaborate fantasies or um, that grandiose sense of self. So it may not come out right away, but as you kind of get to know them, you're like, oh oh boy, there are some grandiose fantasies happening. <laughs> um, there's the unprincipled narcissist. So in cases of evident maltreatment, so it's very clear that some sort of abuse happened. Um, sometimes legal procedures may be involved. Um, sometimes uh, clients with narcissistic tendencies are referred to therapy. Other times they are brought in by the same relatives, so these could be partners, parents, who have suffered the consequences of their character and are now forced to be treated. So, this is someone that we were referring to before who probably doesn't want to be in therapy. Mm-hmm. Often, um, it is not the person with the personality disorder who comes in as a client. Instead, he or she comes in as the collaborative relative or the person who is seeking therapy because of various symptoms. And many of those symptoms may have resulted from the person's And ex- I have no idea how to say that word. Um, <laughs> resulted from the person's selfish demands.
1: Ah, uh, uh-huh. I don't know how to say it either. So I was like, I'll check real fast. I got
0: nothing. Exigency. (laughs) I have no idea. Okay. Anyway. Um, Then there's the elitist narcissist. So a lot of times these will be well-adjusted people, um, but because they talk excessively about themselves, they are prone to discrepancies between what they are and how they portray themselves. So for example, if somebody is talking about just how truly humble they are um but also name drop a bunch of things that they've done it doesn't match up <laughs> you'll you'll begin to notice that there are some discrepancies right. um so elitists are completely convinced of their wonderfulness so instead of making an effort to acquire genuine genuine qualifications and talent effort is instead geared toward persuading others of their specialness. Mm -hmm. So for these folks, they might be shocked or disappointed or sometimes angry when others don't reflect back their overly valued self-image. A lot of times these folks are social climbers who try to cultivate their sense of specialness and personal benefit by associating with those who have genuine achievements and recognition. Um, They typically invest their energy in advertising themselves, boasting their achievements, true or false, and trying anything they have done looks amazing, better than anything done by others, and better than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Alright. Another type is the victimized narcissist. Um, They will self-define as a victim and can function as a substitute for more comprehensive and realistic identity. So the history of such a person may include extensive and early emotional neglect, but in their present life, they expect other people to fulfill their needs and give them what they never had. So that's not realistic, right? Many personalities with narcissistic traits end up building an identity around the idea that everything bad has happened to me. This type of reasoning and way of looking at life through an especially negative and very self-referential filter usually generates great suffering and many adaptation difficulties for this person. So, you know, again, for this person, they may have had an incredibly rough childhood but they haven't been able to adapt from that um, and just kind of continue on with this belief that, you know, everything bad has happened to me. Um, The person's feeling have been a victim is in a sense accurate in regard to childhood maltreatment, but the sense of victimization is misapplied to many present situations, resulting in repeated negative responses from others. So the narcissistic piece of this is that There's a sense of entitlement. I have been treated badly in the past, so today I deserve special treatment. In this way, the pattern repeats itself. The victim identity paradoxically leads to re-victimization because the client can only continue to perform this role that feels familiar and essential for psychological survival through abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. So they tend to keep putting themselves, unfortunately, in these roles, um, that ends up victimizing themselves. Okay. (laughs) My favorite, I've absolutely worked with this before the yes, but client, um, some clients may present themselves with apparently low self-esteem and depression, which usually mobilizes attention and care from others. However, this attention and care never seems to be enough. It is like they need something more, something they cannot find and could end up fulfilling them. These people ask for help, demand treatment, and come to appointments but present a strong ambivalence towards being helped and tend to do the opposite of the proposals they initially seem to accept.
1: There's such a thin line between narcissism and malingering.
0: Yes. Totally. Totally. And I, I guarantee you... You know, you probably worked with this before at some point. But just like that whole, you know, okay, why don't we try this and this and this and this? Uh, Yeah, I don't think that's going to work because of this and this. this. Okay, well, why don't we try this? Well, why don't we try this? Like, that's literally what it looks like. Or
1: just the phrase said 100% seriously, coping skills don't work for me. Mm. as in all coping skills as in of the millions of coping skills out there none of them could possibly work on you which is not true there's something that'll work for everyone but i have heard that multiple times like none of them work and i'm like yeah. have you tried all of them
0: yep it's very very interesting yeah um yeah so though <laughs> so they're saying that um they have great difficulty in assuming their responsibility or focusing on what happens or what depends on them. Sometimes they present a passive-aggressive style, moving others to do things for them to finally make those people feel ineffective because nothing is ever good enough. Mm. All right. Another type, the tireless caretaker. So some clients are focused on achieving approval from others and are very vulnerable to criticism. All their behaviors are just... That- designed to show others an image of an extremely good person, quote unquote. They seem to live for others and do not understand why others do not give back. Although they seem to enjoy pleasing others, they actually expect something in return, but have difficulties recognizing this and experience resentment and anger when the chosen ones do not respond as expected. Mm -hmm. They can Construct an elaborate facade of goodness and are confused when they encounter negative reactions from others. There may be a kind of grandiosity in their assumption of responsibility for the feelings and behaviors of everyone around them. So this subtype can be a source of traumatization for their children, who will often describe them in adulthood as, quote-unquote, wonderful parents, although they may feel confused and guilty about having resentment towards these self-sacrificing but self-centered parents. Mm. Because when you think about it, like, when you genuinely want to do something for somebody, you're not expecting anything back, Mm. right? Um, So, you know, you could donate to a school anonymously, and not have your name on a building. You know what I mean? Like, there's different ways to think about it. Right.
1: And the thing is, there's a difference between, like, posting about a good deed that you've done to raise awareness. But mm-hmm. the thing is, like, I mean, I'll even, I'm I'm really not trying to just be like, I'm great. But you know what I mean? Like, literally, how many times have you, like, po- given money to a, like, GoFundMe And you just post like, hey, if anyone's looking for a good cause, this is good without being like, I donated this amount of money. I'm so right. Like most people will just be like, oh, this is a great charity. Yep. Consider donating. Like, even if people are like, oh, how much did you give? I'm trying to do that. You might tell them. But a lot of people don't lead with how much money they gave or what they got in exchange for giving the money. Most people will lead with the charity and what benefit they do for society. Right. Exactly. Or,
0: you know, there is this thing, and it's so problematic for so many reasons, but there was this period of time where people would go to other countries to help, like, impoverished communities.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they would take pictures with the impoverished children Mm -hmm. to put on their Facebooks, whatever. So that, in and of itself is narcissistic because it's saying look at me and look at all the good I'm doing posing with these children and it's so problematic for so many reasons
1: yeah one of the big things there is interesting research coming out particularly people who are going and visiting and volunteering um at orphanages Which seems like a nice thing, but without realizing that a lot of time what you're doing to the kids is you're going into a child's life and loving on them for a week and then leaving them. And then if you think about how many people go and go to the orphanages and spend time with those kids and then leave them, you might be repeatedly re-traumatizing a child with abandonment issues. So... I think a lot of people do have good intentions when they do stuff like that. But but think about the commitment you're making, you know, where it's just like,
0: am I going to be volunteering consistently for a long period of time as to not disrupt their attachment? Or
1: do I have an important skill that is valuable to them that only I can do? Like, if you're bringing medical care or you're doing something specific, um, if not, you can absolutely do many wonderful things to help without... Coming yeah. in and, you know, causing some issues. So, you know, just throwing that out there. Food for thought. Think about think about what you benefit you're giving the children. And think about yeah. any consequences that make your decision. This, okay, so just, like, an idea of different things with what treatment goals could actually be. So, the recommendation, I know Lauren will talk about a different one. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like... NPD will be, you know, talk therapy and our good old friend cognitive behavioral therapy, which can be used for most things and is almost always a recommended treatment. Let's be real. Yep. Um, so, but some ideas of the kind of goals for a person with narcissistic personality disorder would be learning to relate better with other people to increase enjoyment and intimacy in relationships Understanding the causes of emotions and why you're doing these things. Um, With more specific goals to, you know, accept and maintain real personal relationships and collaboration with coworkers. Recognize and accept your actual competence and potential so that you can tolerate criticism or failure. Increase your understanding and regulation of your feelings. Tolerate the impact of issues related to your self-esteem, and realize your desire for unattainable goals and ideal conditions and just gain an acceptance of the life that you have and what you can reasonably accomplish. So a lot of times I'd like to point out that literally none of those goals actually listed having a successful romantic relationship. Not that it's impossible, not that it's not wouldn't be a goal for certain people, but a lot of times it is just like managing failure and managing that you're probably not gonna get everything you want which i mean literally everybody every human being has to you know at some point in time acknowledge that you're not going to get a hundred percent of the things you want out of life that that's just not gonna happen and you're not gonna handle things personally or perfectly and like realizing like i'm a flawed human being and that's okay and i'll just focus on what i actually can do
0: All right, I'm gonna get into the juice, something I'm very excited to share with y'all. So I may have mentioned this, I think I have um, that I specialize in trauma and am an EMDR clinician. So I'm somebody who's trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And this form of therapy, and I'm happy to talk about it at length, maybe some other time, um, but it helps folks process memories in a way where it's stored correctly and adaptively so that they're not experiencing re-traumatization they're not dealing with mental health um issues that you know stem from a place of trauma so a lot of times I'm very interested in research related to EMDR and um as I mentioned before, I was doing some research about narcissistic personality disorder, and I was curious, um, how folks may treat this using EMDR, um, and from the, I A excuse me, AIP model, which is what EMDR is based off of. Um, so from this lens, the thought is that behaviors of narcissistic personality disorder appear to be a facade of a more complex picture. So there's various different theories, um, but one that really sticks out is that the person needs to act as if he or she was superior or better than others to compensate for the inner hidden self-definition of being a failure or mediocre. So yeah, so basically, um, I shared the thought. Okay. So along with personal characteristics in the clinical picture, um, so the things that we talked about before that might diagnose you with this disorder, there's often a lack of empathy for the feelings and desires of others. Mm -hmm. So the theory behind this is that it stems from a deficiency in object perception, so an issue with fully perceiving the reality that others have separate needs, perceptions, attitudes, and so forth. So often, narcissists do not really relate to others as separate different human beings, but simply as quote unquote objects to be used for further personal need. So we speculate that this impairment and empathy is a piece of the damage caused by early frustration of attachment. Um, and they may view it as frustration regarding early attempts to connect empathetically with others early childhood or a simple imitation of what they learned from their caregivers. So, you know, they're really theorizing here. um, A lot of this may have to do with attachment. So an EMDR approach to the treatment of narcissism begins, begins with the assumption or the hypothesis that narcissism is based on difficult and damaging early life experiences, either specific discrete traumatic events, or the more common situation of traumas of omission. So traumas of omission, and whenever I have worked with somebody with a personality disorder, um, this, ha- this happens more often than not, where it's not what the parents did do, it's what they didn't do. So they weren't empathetic, they weren't caring, they, um, didn't show up and respond appropriately as a parent should
1: right like I'll often tell clients who are struggling with stuff like this that like a lot of times the thing that I hear the most that people consider most damaging about the like their early childhood just boils down to like my parents just weren't nice to me like they didn't care they weren't responsive they weren't interested in me and like that's traumatic too Totally. Yeah.
0: Totally. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we think about narcissism and, like, this connection with um, wealth, right? And so a lot of times in some of these wealthier families, um, what happens is they – the kids – Get to see their children or get to see their parents so infrequently. And when they do, their parents are not emotionally connecting with them. They're on their electronic devices, they're managing businesses, they're doing X, Y, Mm -hmm. and Z. And therefore, what happens is this internal struggle of how do I get my parent to notice me or show me affection or show me attention.
1: Right. And a lot of times you might see behaviors like the parents will. Dote on the children and be super interactive and loving at a charity event or in public, right. or like when there's other people around. But like at home, right? But like at home, when they're just chilling, they're not getting that. So the kids will be confused of like, why are they only like? Nice what to do me I need sometimes. to do?
0: Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's it's hard for them, and a lot of times they're not shown how to, it was never mirrored for them. Like how do I show like empathy and support for other people? It was never shown to me. Um, So that's kind of what they're getting at here. Um, So if we're using that as the hypothesis, We're assuming that an individual with narcissism trauma of both kinds has had an influence not in only creating dysfunctionally stored memories of disturbing events, but also trauma-based dysfunctionally stored elements, such as psychological defenses and often dissociation. Um, So they define dissociation as lack of full conscious access between separately functioning self-states or memory networks. An easier way to think about this is... um, you know, we all dissociate to some degree. A lot of us can relate to this by, you know, if you're like driving to the grocery store and you get there and you're like, wow, like I barely even remember the car ride getting here. That's an example of, you know, regular dissociation. Maybe you're processing something and you aren't being fully present with your physical surroundings. Mm -hmm. Um, Works the same way for trauma, um, just a little bit differently. So most people would be distressed to some degree if they appeared awkward or flawed in the eyes of other people. But for a narcissistic individual, the distress is probably amplified because it is at a loss of important defense. It is a loss of an important defense against unresolved, disturbing feelings. So if you think about it, it's this personality structure Um, this narcissism, this sense of self that's so grandiose, that in and of itself is a defense mechanism for all this underlying trauma and lack of attention, empathy, support, um, feeling important in the lives of their family members. And so to, um, you know, target what has become essentially a defense mechanism, this is why it creates so much distress for them. So um, an individual may learn as a child that I must appear intelligent and impressive to other people at all times to earn my parents' love. Then even a minor lapse in appearing intelligent may bring up the feelings of emotional abandonment that occurred in the original dysfunctional relationship with the parents. Thus, the individual is constrained to look impressive at all times to maintain this defense and avoid a reactivation of these early childhood feelings of abandonment and unlovableness. And I feel like that's pretty easy to understand, like, you know, when it's explained in that way, that this is all defense mechanism stuff, Mm -hmm. um, because they don't want to relive those abandonment feelings from when they were younger. So the goal of treatment, so if, you, you know, this person is doing EMDR, is investment in an overly positive image of self, of sense of self can dominate a person's sense of self or can simply be a state of mind that arises to varying degrees in certain specific circumstances whether the investment is large or small so whether they really want to be there or they just kind of want to be there um, there can gradually be a shift in therapy from emotional investment and the false sense of self to being comfortable with simply being one's real self so what happens is through therapy the illusion is given up And there is a trade-off for this loss, an increased sense of groundedness and coherence within the self as well as an opening for real connections with other people is what the goal of treatment um, would look like. So a person can come to accept, I'm not wonderful and actually that's okay. And it is a relief to know that I'm not terrible. It's okay for me to just be who I am. And that would be the goal of therapy. So consistent with this approach, an EMDR therapist might suggest that targeting um, events that contain more accessible disturbance and those that the client can easily identify as negative and personally problematic might be the first step. Um, So they might start with reprocessing a recent narcissistic injury. So an example of that might be an event that severely undermined the client's distorted and overly positive false sense of self. it would be easy for them to target and think of and reprocess and experience some relief. Um, And it would help reduce any feelings of humiliation, helplessness, anger, or any other negative affect. And then the next part of treatment would be Targeting initial positive events that created self-idealization. So this is the part that's more tricky and you need buy-in from your clients to want this to happen. Mm -hmm. So once the client is able to begin having this type of felt insight, the door may open to going back and specifically targeting the positive events that created the self-idealization in the first place so what this means is specifically targeting the positive affect associated with those events so an example of this that they talked about is memories of being indulged by a parent in present-day situations where the individual satisfies an obsessive need so to gain the parent's admiration in today's world or a time when the client was able to win the admiration of other people Typically, as these instance, instances are targeted, the defensive purpose of self-idealization will become clear. That is, the overly positive self-concept was a way of shifting away from or not feeling the emotional pain of neglectful or traumatic events. So it's starting to target these situations that um, you know definitely fill their ego and fulfill this defense mechanism. But what we're doing is we are reducing that feel-good part of it, that connection, and the reason why they keep doing it over and over and over again. So, for example, if they want everyone to think they're incredibly intelligent and that's the way that they um, were able to get their parents to pay attention to them and feel loved and not abandoned, you know... That has become the obsession as an adult is I need everyone to think I'm intelligent. Maybe this pushed them to become like a doctor, for example, um, and have, you know, incredible uh, credentials. So a memory that might be stored for them is, you know, getting their doctorate degree, let's say, and that's stored positively. Well, after much treatment, and again, this like doesn't happen like right away. What they then can do with their therapist is kind of dismantle this and be like, okay, was getting the doctorate really, you know, a high achievement for you where you felt really good about yourself or were you more interested in the reactions of your family members, um, how society perceived you in that moment and kind of helping them reduce um, that defense mechanism so that it can be more adaptive in their present life that
1: makes sense
0: yeah so i was like damn okay Mm -hmm. you know i don't you know i am not somebody who specializes in personality disorders but i do feel that this type of model makes sense Mm -hmm. and it gives me a lot of hope for the future
1: yeah and I, i you know i am hopeful that we'll get better at treating these things
0: Right. And just more of an understanding of, like, how complex it is and, like, what actually needs to happen in order for people to live adaptive lives. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm gonna talk about a case study um, as well, which less, like... I mean, research-based than Lauren. Lauren's was wonderful. Um, just kind of more to- I was just, like,
0: really into it. Love <laughs> it. Yeah. It.
1: I also- th- So this is a case study that's Narcissistic Personality Disorder and Clinical Health Psychology Practice Case Studies of Comorbid Psychological Distress and Life-Limiting Illness by Elizabeth Casel, Nicole Enos, and Deirdre Perenia. Um, and so, yeah, we're. Do- I'm just going to tell you a bit because I found this one so interesting, and it just demonstrates like some of the. So, um, it just really demonstrates some of the issues with like buy-in that I was talking about, where a huge barrier to treating people with this disorder is getting them to agree to treatment, and getting them, getting that buy-in, right? Even if they do agree. Are they really you know how invested are they really are they really like willing to do the work and so this one is a woman uh who they're just calling miss y that's really common in clinical case studies they just kind of get a nickname Mm correct so miss y is a middle-aged caucasian female who is undergoing cancer treatment who was referred to seek mental health treatment in relation to cancer so that's pretty common right a lot of times oncologists will refer clients to you know get some mental health treatment just to kind of look at treating you know issues pertaining to having cancer that's a pretty distressing situation so Um, she presented for cancer treatment from out of state after seeking treatment recommendations from multiple well-known cancer centers throughout the United States. She was counseled by each facility that seeking multiple opinions would delay treatment and result in disease advancement and shortened survival. Um, one center declined to treat her as they believe that she did not seem able to engage in a collaborative relationship with medical team members. So she finally came to this facility to treatment. She caught sought medical care for vague or minor symptoms from every department in their medical center. So this is a larger medical center with a mental health component. So she's going to different departments for, like, weirder minor symptoms to see lots of different doctors. Um... Okay, her cancer diagnosis and side effects of treatment were well documented. She demonstrated a pattern of attention seeking behavior. Um, hypervigilance about minute changes in physical sensation were treated like emergencies that required urgent care. Um, social history was remarkable for having a young child of whom she lost custody, multiple ex boyfriends with whom she had tumultuous relationships, a current boyfriend, and a very supportive mother. Um, she reported receiving but not completing graduate medical training medical record review that the additional history that was dismissed from gra- ah it revealed that um she was dismissed from graduate training and barred from seeking a health license in multiple states due to behavioral issues uh oh um, so yeah pretty indicative. so right now you're already seeing some interesting things right where she's seeking out saying any minute changes are a medical emergency seeing lots of people um not that it makes sense to you know getting there's getting a second opinion on a cancer diagnosis is one thing but she's contacting centers everywhere to consult with all of them before treatment yeah it's a little excessive i'm just gonna read this sentence directly because i love it features of a personality disorder emerged within minutes of her intake in our training clinic so again a lot of times if you're specially trained you know pretty quickly uh once settled in the interview room she called the trainees incompetent and insisted that she would only see the attending psychologist um that As soon as the uh, attending psychologist entered the room, she cried out loudly that she felt as if she had been sexually victimized. Upon clarification, she explained that this was in reference to being asked by a male healthcare provider to disrobe and change into a medical gown for a CT scan several months ago. Okay. Um, which can be traumatizing, but is standard procedure for a CT scan. I've had a few. I have always had to be in a gown for them. Same. Yeah. Um, it was highly atypical and dramatic, and so she had her conjunction with a history of exceptionally volatile interpersonal relationships, so that alerted to the team a likelihood of a personality disorder, um, their diagnostic- they did an interview, they diagnosed her with narcissistic personality disorder. Got it. So- they said this is a crucial step towards assisting Ms. Y with her primary goal of achieving and maintaining the interpersonal awareness and appreciation of the unique challenges of working with individuals with this disorder. Um, they, her behavior in the clinic was consistent with key features including relational volatility, expe- excessive demands for special treatment, Um, disdain for others, emotional experiences, and lack of empathy. She had a tendency Mm. toward hypersensitivity and negative automatic thought patterns regarding perceived insults from most individuals with whom she came into contact, including the medical providers with whom she needed to collaborate for life-preserving cancer treatment, um, and persistently paranoid ideation. Mm. They caused her distress, and this was a barrier to both her medical and psychological treatment. Um... Interestingly, she had confirmed a prior personality disorder diagnosis, which she referred to as mixed personality disorder with narcissistic features. Um, Mixed personality disorder is a kind of catch-all disorder for if you have symptoms of multiple personality disorders and one isn't the most dominant, then you would get a mixed personality disorder diagnosis. So that's plausible that she could actually have that. Um, So then... Um, she disclosed anxiety about maintaining collaborative relationships with her team, expressed uncertainty about her ability to manage her distress related to her diagnosis, grief over interpersonal losses, and worry about the effects of cancer on her self-esteem, body image, and sexual functioning. She intended to move back to a residence in another state upon completion of her cancer treatment, so they decided on brief therapy to work on specific goals. Um... The goal was, so the main goal of treatment was to increase her capacity for distress tolerance so she could complete the intensive cancer treatment. A secondary goal was to provide her with positive psychotherapy experience in order to assist her getting long-term psychological help when she was home. She attended four 30-minute CBT sessions. Um, She achieved her goal of managing distress in a manner that allowed her to complete cancer treatments, um, but they were unable to address many of the significant things. So... Uh, pointing out a couple difficulties in her treatment, and I would like to make it clear that these appointment these issues occurred over four appointments, probably five with an assessment, and then only four sessions. Which Lauren can attest to. Four is a pretty low amount of sessions.
0: Very low. <laughs> four is
1: like but makes sense since she was out of state and they were just trying to treat her to get her through her intensive cancer treatment. Um, Yeah,
0: I think the out-of-state piece matters.
1: That does, right? So she had uh, significant self-aggrandized statements, frequently telling the staff that, I know I'm brilliant, I know more about all of these doctors about my cancer treatment, Um her exaggerated self-worth was evident in her perception of belief as herself as highly sexually desirable to both men and women, especially those of high status. She reported a history of engaging in sexualized discords and sexual relationships with healthcare providers and other professionals with whom she was under contract, as well as a history of being sexually victimized and harassed by such individuals with pending litigation. Um... So that that is an interesting one. I'd like to point out that your doctors should never be having sex with you. Ever. Ever. Ever, right? Um, I guess unless you live in a very small town and you're in an existing romantic relationship with the only doctor available to see and you have to see them with emergencies. I There could be exceptions, but for the most part, no, your doctors are not supposed to sleep with you. Uh, not a thing. So that is interesting. Of course, we don't know what was going on there we're not going to speculate on this but it is interesting that she was talking about this um during treatment she would call at her appointment time to indicate that she would be 30 minutes late then her appointment was rescheduled she would arrive 30 minutes late to that appointment
0: a little passive-aggressive a Little
1: passive-aggressive right she declined to re- receive services from pre-doctoral trainees due to their incompetence and expected that she would receive services solely from the attending psychologist's whose credentials she was asking about um she agreed to be treated by a postdoctoral trainee for therapy repeatedly advised her therapist that she found her care in the clinic unsatisfactory due to the department being weak um she also asked for special treatment from her cancer treatment team um she demanded to receive cancer treatment on a federal holiday when the cancer center was closed um, and she would call the oncology on-call service to obtain after-hours consultation about minor non-urgent concerns such as losing several tenths of a pound of weight. Okay. <laughs> I mean, people with cancer undergoing cancer treatment, a gr- rapid weight loss can be a problem, but, like, losing two tenths of a yeah. pound is, like, normal fluctuation for most people. Most people wouldn't even notice that. Um, so... Prior to enduring her treatment, she sought multiple consultations about the management of her cancer. She reported that several previous medical providers had discharged her from care due to inappropriate behavior and an inability to form collaborative working relationships. She reported feeling abandoned by these providers and described them as incompetent. She also noted that she filed complaints against them with state medical boards, At our facility, she was insistent on receiving a new, highly specialized, and difficult-to-access cancer treatment. However, the oncology team did not recommend that treatment for her, which she questioned and viewed as incompetence. When the therapist responded to her suicidal ideation by conducting a risk assessment, she stated that it was a waste of time and an indicator that the therapist was incompetent. Interesting. Uh, Which, by the way, if y'all mention suicidal ideation, we have to do a risk assessment.
0: Like, always, and if any mention of child abuse happens, we have to report it. Yeah,
1: like, that's not, that is a sign of competency that they did that. Um, So they said that the therapist was able to navigate these conflicts in a way that maintained the therapeutic relationship. However, she continued to criticize the therapist and emphasize her dissatisfaction with the care. She was observed to experience difficulties with emotion regulation and distress tolerance. She described the possibility of not receiving the most specialized cancer treatment as the biggest regret of her life. She indicated that routine clinical situations, such as being asked to wear a hospital ground, were traumatic and sexually violating. Her affect was intense and dramatic and out of proportion to the events experienced. Her high level of distress prompted her to engage in excessive healthcare utilization and to expect that her concerns would be addressed immediately and fully while undergoing medical treatment she was experienced by clinical support staff on one occasion as aggressive and threatening outside of the relationships like she had a long history of volatile relationships with romantic partners employers and attorneys fascinated by the attorneys wish we knew more about that all right and so okay she also had difficulty maintaining appropriate interpersonal boundaries in professional relationships in particular, her rigidly held beliefs regarding the inferiority of a wide variety of groups of individuals turned to her ability to form respectful relationships with diverse employers and healthcare providers. During her second therapy session, she openly stated that the therapist's country of origin and accent were problematic for her, relating that she had received substandard healthcare from individuals born outside the United States. The therapist used this opportunity to explore, with Miss Y, how observing firm, prescribed boundaries with her healthcare providers could enhance her outcomes. She also expressed a number of distorted beliefs about herself, her world, and her future. Her inflated self-concept did not appear to be grounded within objective academic employment or interpersonal histories. She had held many negative expectations of others based on individuals from socioeconomic educational and demographic backgrounds just a lot of assumptions um her pursuit then rejection of cancer treatment recommendations from numerous centers across the united states is consistent with help rejecting behavior that occurs in narcissistic personality disorder however once she decided to receive care at that facility she was observed to be adherent to her treatment recommendations and actively engage in her own care Interesting.
0: I'd also be extremely interested to hear about her familial history. Yes.
1: Yes. I want to know so much more about that. And I think, you know, again, like in that case, like she's not being particularly violent. She's not being, you know, all that necessarily abusive per se. But you also have to imagine like the treatment challenges of working with somebody who is constantly showing up an hour late to appointments who's telling you that you're not good enough to treat her but is still going to treatment with you regularly but saying like oh well you're incompetent because you tried to do this you're terrible and the amount of time spent addressing how terrible you are is actively taking away from treatment time and even You can imagine, like, what the behavior that Miss Y is doing. A lot of people with NPD may be a bit of, like engage in what they often call doctor shopping or therapist shopping of like constantly bouncing between different therapists are you gonna do this no i'm out are you gonna do this no i'm out regardless of diagnosis which just makes it harder to treat of like i want to do this therapy that's not at all recommended for my diagnosis or i want you to treat me for this one thing but i don't have any of the symptoms right in that case she's trying to get cancer treatment that was not advised for her type of cancer and doctors are not going to give you treatment that's not advised or hasn't been tested for that so like it is you know I just thought that that demonstrated even though she did ultimately comply with treatment and was able to accomplish her therapeutic goal of getting through her cancer treatment I just felt like that demonstrated pretty well some of the challenges that you might have in actually treating Somebody with this disorder. A thousand percent. And just like, why we're saying it's not impossible, but buy-in is tricky. Yes.
0: So unfortunately, I do have to skedaddle because my son is freaking out. Um. So, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for welcoming me back. Yes. And thanks for getting spooky. Thanks
1: for getting spooky.